This podcast was recorded live on February 11th at 10 p.m. Things may have changed since the time of this recording. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am Samor, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. We are live on Facebook and looking forward to another fantastic conversation. You can follow our Facebook page at SJH Man Cave and our Facebook group at SJH Podcast Family to get notified when we're going live and engage in discussions we have throughout the week. You can also see our videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. And with all that being said, let's dive right right in. And we felt like this might be a good episode to have a conversation about how do you help your kids deal with situations where they have to interact with the police. Um, In January, there was an incident in Rochester, New York, where a mother called the police. uh, Well, back up. She called the police on her boyfriend or the stepfather or some guy that she wanted to leave the house. And then her nine-year-old daughter was clearly having a mental breakdown. And according to the mother, she was already suicidal. And she called to have mental services come help the girl because for whatever reason, she felt like she would not be able to help her. Instead, the police were brought out. The police... Um, put the nine-year-old child in handcuffs, um, pepper sprayed her and forced her into the back of a police car. They forced her to sit with the pepper spray dripping on her face and dripping into her mouth uh, into an ambulance came. And then the ambulance finally took her away. Obviously, there's been a huge amount of outrage uh, about the entire situation. And we felt like it would be a good opportunity to talk about from the standpoint of parents, you know, how do you try to prepare your, your child for that type of situation? And also, you know, if you are in that situation, what do you do? So I wanted to start with, have you all ever had to call the police on a family member before? And Jason, I'll start with you. I personally haven't had to, but I have been in situations where it has happened to members in my family. Uh, um, one of my nephews has some, uh, has some uh, mental health issues right now. And for the last few years, he, he's had issues. And luckily in the area that we live in, uh, it got to a point where like the police pretty much kind of got to know who he was and got to know what the situation was. So things never really turned out to be real bad. Luckily, the police, I kind of like LaGrange Park police because of it, because they, they were very conscious of the situation. They ask a lot of questions and they try to approach it in a very personable way. So they got to know him. He got to know them. And they kind of always know, like, if there was a call, like kind of know what to go in and do. So it, it, I think it went well and beyond, well, well above and beyond what it is they were supposed to do. And I kind of wish a lot of police would kind of follow their example. So kudos to LaGrange Park police, I just like to say. But uh, the situation in it is it's rough because when you're dealing with somebody in your family that has that mental health issue and it's not a lot that you can do. Like for me, I, 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 I as much as I want to, like it kind of for me, me being just the uncle. You know, it almost kind of feels like it's not my place, but I try to do what I can when and around the times that at least when I'm called or when things happen or when I'm informed to it. But 
it's just it's tough when you're dealing with situations where it seems like the situation was never taken care of the way it should have been in the first place. And it's just unfortunate that some folks don't have the means or the capability to take care of someone in their family who has that mental deficit. And, you know, it, it translates to these types of situations. You know, as a, as a man, it, it's, it's, it's really tough to, to, I mean, first off I, I have it, but as a man, it, it's tough to, to even think about making that call, you know? It, okay. Let me not pretend I'm speaking for all men, but, you know, it's almost like it was an unspoken rule. And I think for a lot of men, we, we try to handle things that, that may be out of our control. But we try to and, and we try to make sure that we never dial those three numbers and bring anyone over to the house. <laughs> um, and, and that's even before knowing all of this. So, so you know, I, I can say that I've been in instances where family has called police on family. Um, one specific instance I can remember was um, a child um, and she was grown, but she was having issues with her mother or actually her grandmother and her grandfather. And it had had something to do with the custody of her daughter, but she, she needed to go and get her daughter's things from her grandparents' home. And, and, and the judge actually told her, before you go over there, call the police. A judge ordered her to do that. Mm. Said, do not go over there. Just call the police and, and let them make sure that nothing happens. And, and what I witnessed that day, because she made the call, and, and I was there. We sat there and waited till the police came. And, you know, it was so many. It, it's like I've never encountered you know, it's very rare, rare that I've encountered police who just weren't assholes. And, and that, that's mm-hmm. the tough part. You're told to call. Like she was instructed, do not go over there without calling. But then when they came, it's, it's first, well, what are you involving me in this for? It's basically the attitude that, that they have. And, and, and the response from her, and even I spoke up, was she was told to call. She was told to call right. you. You know, so are you going to help or are you, you know, or, or just leave? I mean, it's, it's one or the other, you know, so, you know, and, and there's, there's a big reason right there where you just don't want to make that call because you just kind of feel anyone who's had an encounter with, with the police, I can almost guarantee you, no matter what color you are, no matter what color you are, I can, even though it might be harsher for us. I can tell you, no matter what color you are, nine times out of ten, that interaction with that officer was not good. The officer was an asshole. And and you just, as a man, you just don't want to bring that in into your space, right? you rather handle it, and, and you rather risk life and limb trying to handle it yourself. <laughs> I don't care if someone brings out a bazooka. I'm, I'm still going to try to talk it down myself. <laughs> because I feel like it's going to be worse if the police come. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, as a man, I never want to call the police. I don't want the police involved coming in my home. I don't want them involved in my business. And this is coming from a middle-class, law-abiding citizen. Like, I don't I don't really have anything that I'm worried about the police finding out about me. But 
I understand that anytime you involve the police, it's easy for things to potentially go left. And I don't want to see that happening. Honestly, I think that's one of the saddest aspects of this entire situation, because at the end of the day, the mother called um, for mental services. She wanted the police to deal with her, her man. All right. But they she called for mental services for her daughter and didn't get that. And uh, it's clearly deeply unfortunate because the police were completely unable to deal with her properly. As soon as you call the police, they take precedent. And they can come with the police, but the police are going to take command and charge because that's what they're used to doing. And so and so right. they will if they feel like it, they will just push the mental health people aside and say I need to deal with this because it's a it's a it's a threat issue now. And then that's all they need. There's right. a threat. So, you know, yeah. you're better off not in a lot of cases, it seems like not calling the police at all and say, I need mental health services. Right. Forget the police. I need the mental health people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I guess that's a big reason for this whole defund the police argument to begin with. Um, there's an article that came out about the mental health services team in Denver and about how over the past six months they've all they've answered roughly 900 calls and not forget about violence none of them have even required an arrest that's insane 900 times that they were called out to deal with a situation where usually police would be called out and no arrest have been done thus far I mean, and somewhere, what I think it was like the numbers, like from what I saw, like sixty percent were like people with like serious mental issues too, like mm-hmm. like folks with you know depression and 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 schizophrenia and all the most of these people who are running around here that you think that's coming out running out the house with knives and all those these folks, and they didn't handle that, right? Handled it nonviolently and without arresting people, just giving people the help that they need. And that's exactly who that girl needed. Mm. Someone who could just really give her the help that she needed and help her calm down. Well, ever watched uh, that show 60 Days In or or something like something mm-hmm. like it? Well, basically 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 people go undercover in prisons and and they're there to give insight to the warden or, or the, the, the sheriff who's in charge of the prison. They're there to give them insight, how the drugs come in, how is their staff doing and things like that. So basically one of the observations that you hear almost every season of 60 days in is how many people are in there that just have mental problems. I mean, the jails Mm -hmm. are seemingly at least on those seasons in those particular jails, they're filled up with people with mental issues. And, and they just should not be in there. Exactly. exactly. And what happens, those people are, are vulnerable because let's be honest, most people with mental health issues are not violent. We just always seem to highlight the ones who have mental health issues as somehow, oh, he's, he's a cat. He could go off at any point. Mm-hmm. But most of those people with mental health issues that are in prison, they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are being abused. And it's only contributing to the cycle that keeps them in prison. So um, I want to follow up with if you were in the mother's shoes, you know, because she was standing there the entire time. And so she watched as these police manhandled her child, pepper sprayed her child, 
forced her child to sit in the backseat of a police car while pepper spray was burning in her eyes. The child was yelling, screaming that it was burning, and the police were completely dismissive of her the whole time. And there's been other instances of police being violent towards children right in front of their parents. Off the top of my head, uh, a daughter, she got body slammed right in front of her dad. Um, and in almost all these instances, we see the parent doing doing virtually nothing except screaming and asking them to stop. So my question is for you all, if you had been in the mother's shoes and had witnessed this happening with your child, would you have done anything different? And I want to be realistic about this because everybody always says, oh, I would have run in and I shut it down. I would have stopped it. But we all know police murder black men (laughs) with complete disregard. And this is Rochester, New York, the same place where I think it was last year, Daniel Prude died because they basically threw a, a, a hood over the man and then didn't give him any care and he suffocated to death. So these people have a reputation. Would you have done anything different than what she was doing? Jason, I'll start with you. Well, in in response to this question, the first thing I have to do is I kind of have to apologize. I uh, when I first posted it on, on in the uh, in the Facebook in the Facebook group, I made the comment that I thought the mother because in the video I thought the mother was basically cursing out the little girl. Uh, I thought it was one of them situations where I I, re- I pretty much blame mom about it. And, and and it was just one of them things that, you know, when you when you watch something for the first time and you don't have all the information, you make all the you, you get emotional about it. You make a lot of statements. I made those statements and I had to be the first one to apologize for it because I didn't realize the mother was actually arguing with people that were around or that were making fun of the situation and arguing with the police at the same time, trying to keep her kid as safe as she could. So I have to apologize for that. That's that's number one. Uh, secondly, if I was in the mother's shoes, I kind of go back to the statement that Hudson made in regards to just those type of situations that, you know, you, you try to keep not necessarily indoors, but at least you try to handle on your own. But if I'm already in that situation, if it's already occurred, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't know. I sit here and I think about it and just watching that video as a father, my emotions, the first thing I would think to do is to tackle the officer. I'd probably be dead. Either that or I'd be seriously injured or I'd be going to prison for a while because I don't, I couldn't imagine it. I, I think about it like watching that video and the pictures in my head, I automatically think of my daughter Jada and just thinking about who she is and being put in a situation like that where she's being well first and foremost one of the things i like to teach my kids is and one of the biggest things is respect you know what i mean i i make sure that my kids understand that your elders are to be respected authority figures are meant to be respected and at the end of the day it's about you getting back to where you have to be it's about you getting home so when it comes to arguing or anything like it was like when you when you go to places like museums and parks and stuff like that, you tell your kids if 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 they get lost to find someone with a badge, you tell them, hey, you see that guy over there, that's a security officer. You find those type of people because they will help you. 
You know what I mean? And and you think about those situations. And I think about like, if I taught this to Jade and this was her in that situation, how does that change her view of that at that point? How does mm-hmm. that, dis- how does that destroy what is supposed to be your, your deal? You're a cop. You're the man with the badge. You're the man with the gun. You were one that I tell my kids who are supposed to protect you. If if you get lost from me, find him. He will get you back to me because that's what they do. And then you get, and then you have a nine year old girl slammed on her face in the snow and then dragged around by a bunch of cops trying to get stuffed in the back of a car. I've, I, I know we all talk mess and you said it some more. I get it, but I, I don't I don't feel any other instinct other than to just attack the person that's hurting my child. You know what I mean? It's, and I, and I'd, I'd like to be the responsible one to sit here and say, hey, you know, maybe you just take a step back and make sure you record. And sit. My phone wouldn't even be a thought in my head. It really wouldn't. Like I just all I would hear is my daughter screaming. And that's my worst nightmare. That's my worst nightmare, especially not to be there. To hear her calling for me, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd do. I, I really don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know how I would be able to handle that situation and to be there. The only thing I can think is to protect my daughter in the best way I know how. I got to get this man off you. Like, look, if you're not gonna sit here and listen to me, if the fact that your authority has to be observed here at this point, I get that. But you're hurting my child, and I don't know how far you want me to go with this. I don't know how far or what you're expecting me to stand on the sideline and watch you do this. I don't have the Hudson. heart to do that. Hudson, what about you? Uh, you know, I would, I would, if I was right there, I would start with calling them a bunch of punk ass bitches. <laughs> I would, I would tell, them, I would tell the female officer. Who was who was pepper spraying my child? I, w- I would tell the female officer that she's lucky I don't strip her pants down and shove that can up her ass. Um, I would I would continue to berate every officer and get under their skin, hoping that they come and put their attention on me. But I would try to do enough where they come and turn their attention on me, but not kill me. But so be it. Um. But I would do, I, I, in a in a measured response that I've thought about this forever. I've thought about this forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've thought about this from college, in, in knowing how how police are and how these situations turn out, and and I have decided long ago. Now, who knows if emotion overtakes me or whatever the case. But I've tried to train my mind to a to an extent of. I'm not going to help anybody if I'm dead. And Mm -hmm. I've trained my mind to that extent that I have to, that I have to do what I can to take the attention away, but not, but, but so that I can keep taking the attention away, you know, come whoop my ass, come, come, come (laughs) pepper spray me, take all your, your cans of pepper spray out and come have a party on me. Come on. But, Mm -hmm. but leave my kids alone. And while you're pepper spraying me, I'm going to continue to talk shit and tell you you ain't shit. You know, I'm going to keep doing it. Excuse the language, y'all. I mean, I, normally I don't cuss that much within a short amount of time like I am. 
But I mean, that is that is just in me of what I would do. And y'all, y'all both know that I can get under a person's skin real good. So <laughs> that is exactly what I am going to attempt to do. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. This is something I've thought a lot about as well. Um, I've never thought about it. You brought up something interesting, Jason. I've never thought about it from the standpoint of how would going through an experience like this affect the child's relationship with the police? And will it damage her belief um, that the police are there to help you and that they're that they are there to assist you? You're radicalizing them. Right. At a young age. Absolutely. Um, I've always thought about it, though, from the standpoint of how does that impact the child's relationship with their father? Because I I come from the perspective of my child should always believe that I'm going to protect her no matter the situation, that I'm here and that nobody can just walk up and harm you or do something crazy to you without a direct physical reaction from me. And so if the child is then in this situation where they're being body slammed, they're being pepper sprayed, whatever is happening to them right in front of the parent and the parent doesn't step in and stop it in some sort of way and, and prevent it from happening, does that damage, you know, the relationship between that child and that parent? That's what that's what I've always considered. And I, I guess, you know, the decision I came to is is kind of in between you all. I wouldn't tackle them because I feel like you tackle a cop, you immediately get shot <laughs> no matter what. And I wouldn't uh, uh, talk and berate them from the sideline because, one, I'm not as good as it is Hudson uh, is. And two, I've seen a bunch of videos of these type of instances happening, even George Floyd, when he had his knee on his neck. You know, there are people on the sideline saying that, yo, this is some you y'all really messed up for this and, and berating the cops. I think cops are used to being verbally berated at this point. So I don't think it gets a rise out of them the way like berating a regular person on the street gets a rise out of them. But I would physically throw myself into the situation, like hands up, not tackling people, not trying to be physically aggressive, but at the same time, trying to use my body in between my child and the police and trying to calm the situation down so that my child is not being abused. Now, is that necessarily going to be effective? I don't know. I don't know if any of this is really going to be effective because at the end of the day, it seems like there's a whole lot of police in this country that are determined to abuse black children and murder black men and women. So I don't know if there's, there's any real, you know, there's no magic switch. There's no magic pill. But I just can't imagine seeing my daughter go through something like that and just, you know, standing on the a sideline and essentially, you know, just just feeling helpless and letting it happen. You have to do something. You have to do something. No mail. No, no yeah. Mail. Yeah. It, it's just <laughs> not going to work. It's not going to work. <laughs> so, you know, when you all were growing up, did your parents ever have a conversation with you about how to handle situations with the police? And Hudson, I'll start with you. Oh, yeah. Uh, my dad was, uh, I mean, I think I've mentioned it on this show before, super protective. 
<laughs> I mean, and and I mean, I guess he had good reason. I was hit, I was a, a son and his only son. You know, he said he was a Rolling Stone, so I was the only son he knew about um, <laughs> at the time. Man. You know, um, but I mean, that's that's what he thought. So he was super protective of me, and and at a very young age, he he had I can't quite pinpoint the age, but at very young, he was he was telling me how to handle things if if a police officer you know were to and it's, and it's basically do everything that they tell you, do everything that they tell you, you know. Um, he, he was strict on, uh, make sure you are listening and follow their commands to the T, you know, that, that was, that was his deal. Follow them to the T. Don't, you know, don't, you know, first thing was don't put yourself in a position to, but, you know, he also understood that you in America, you don't always have to, <laughs> you don't always have to be able to put yourself in a position to get harassed by them. So he said, just, you know, just whatever they tell you, do it. And I wasn't even double digit in age. I I, I know that for sure. I, I was super young when he started telling me that. I really didn't get a conversation about it until after the first time I had an incident with the police. I think I was maybe about six, maybe seven years old. Uh, we were walking home, me and a buddy of mine, Back in the day, we were walking home from the park. Uh, my guy, you know, he was, you know, he was, he lived, he lived thug life and shit. He was a little gangster and shit at the time. Family, big brothers and stuff and whatnot. He just kind of followed along the line and things that they did. And I was just kind of innocent little kid and whatnot. They really didn't know nothing. You know, I was just a kid. And uh, we walking, we were, we were playing basketball in the park one night and we ended up walking home. It was pretty late. And the police ended up riding through the park, stopped us, had us get on our knees. You know what I mean? Got to asking us all kinds of questions and stuff like that. Never handcuffed us or anything like that. But for me, it was the scariest thing in the world. Because I'm like, well, why are we down on our knees? I'm fucking six, seven years old. Why am I down on my knees standing in the park? Like my mom and them, they waiting for me down there. She's standing on the porch calling me. I can see it from here. And for my guy, he was just kind of, you know, it was just normal for him. You know what I mean? Like, so like it, after it happened, they, they, they messed with us for a little bit. You know what I mean? Then they ended up hopping in the car and then they left, you know, we, we walked away. And I just, I just remember being just so confused. I didn't understand. Like all I, I was at the park playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, you know, like I said, my mother was sitting on the porch waiting for me to come home. That's where she was. And I got to the house. I told her what had happened. You know, my father, he sat down. He was pissed. My father was completely pissed off. I remember that very vaguely. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the conversation, you know, verbatim or anything like that, but it was just basically kind of along the lines of Jason. Whenever you had these interactions or when the police kind of stop you, it's just do as you told. You know what I mean? Like, I think my father was one of the people who put that in my head a long time ago when I got younger was the, the most important thing is for you just to get home. Get home. Don't don't do anything that's going to allow you not to make it home. And I think that was one of the things I kind of took to heart. And it's it's, it's, it's something that I kind of stand by, you know, to this day. You know, because yeah, I've been doing security and shit for like twenty years, working in clubs and all this other stuff. And my whole thing was, you know, you can tear this club up. I can give a fuck about this club. You can set this bitch on fire as long as I get home. 
<laughs> and I get paid. <laughs> You're gonna have to run my money at some point in time, you know. <laughs> so, but that's always, especially when I when I had my kids and my wife, and she just like my most important thing is to get home. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. But that interaction, that that time, it it really impaired my view of the police at the time. I never really paid any attention to him when I was younger. There was no reason for me to. I was a kid. There was no reason. Why, why am I paying attention to the police? Shit, I'm doing going up to the park playing or I'm playing football in the street. I'm doing what a normal kid was supposed to do. But I lived in a neighborhood where other kids didn't get a chance to be kids. Right. You know what I mean? They they were involved in gangs and stuff like that at early ages. Some of them were born into it. Some of them just they they had no choice but to fall into it. So at the time, like some of that stuff or even talking with my buddy afterwards and shit, like he, he kind of was coming down on me. He's like, why are you acting all weird and shit? Like, cause what if I was on the knees in the park with you? What's wrong with you? Why don't you feel a certain kind of way about this? Like, shit, you know how many times them up, them same cops done fucked around and fucked with him? Shit, I don't know how many times. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was two years older than me. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's just one of them things where it's just kind of like, you know, that, that first interaction is, is a stepping stone in what it could, what it could be for you for the rest of your life. I, it, I don't, th- I don't think it was anything damaging in that particular situation that made me believe that the police were the, the shittiest people in the world. But as I got older, <laughs> they proved to be sucky. They really did, you know, and hell, and you think about it nowadays, like for me, for that situation and what it was, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. I got to go home. Right. Could have been much worse. Could have been you worse. Know, you know what's key in that? You know what's key? It is how young you were when it happened to you and and how mm-hmm. so many kids growing up where we grew up had that same experience so young. And, and I, I knew a bunch mm-hmm. of kids because I, I grew up a big chunk of my life was spent in the Harold Dickey homes. And I knew a bunch of kids who, who went through that same thing. And, and we talk about how so many people, you know, um, um, how, how white men and women can seem to get away with this stuff and, and just think psychologically how they're able to just do it. Right. Because when they were six and five, they, they never had that issue. They never had that issue. To, to kind of stunt their growth in that regard, right? They've never been, they've never been, uh, you know, on their knees at, at six years old. You know, I knew some kids who had guns pointed at them by that age, you know? So, mm-hmm. so it, it's when, when we talk about how, how they're privileged to be able to do this at 20, 30 years old, yelling and screaming at the police. while wow. We don't want to say a word. We don't want to say a mumbling word. You know, that's why. Because we either experienced it or we or or we knew knew a bunch of people who did. It's interesting. I, I feel like this issue of black people and how they're treated by the police, it's it goes outside of class. You know, it's just it's pretty much all of us. I was raised uh, in what I would call essentially a, a, I had a middle class upbringing. Like, yeah, we spent a few years in the hood. We bounced around. But I even when I was in the hood, I never really felt of the hood. You know, <laughs> like I don't, I don't have a, a, a bunch of friends who died when I was real young. I've never been in a gang, never had a bunch of friends who was trying to get me to join the gang. Like I, I didn't go through 
the things that you go through when you're really out walking in the hood amongst the people day in, day out. And yet, despite all of this, I was raised, don't trust the police. And that was my mother and my father. They, from a very, very young age, they reminded us repeatedly, the police are not your friend. Say the minimum amount necessary. Do not provide any information. Do not treat them like your friend. Do not help them. They are not here to help you. And if you give them the opportunity, they will essentially screw you over. You know, these are middle middle class parents, all right, and, and professors. They're both teachers, all right? So these these are not, you know, bottom of the barrel, struggling to make a living, you know, like it's a, it's a whole nother class. And yet still the whole perspective is the police are not here to help you. Don't delude yourself into th- believing anything different. And I, I've carried that into adulthood. I am always very respectful. I always try to make it clear, hey, I am not trying to step over whatever authority you feel like you have. I'm not here to, you know, disrupt whatever you're doing. But at the same time, I'm I'm very, very careful about what I say when I'm in the presence of officers, because I understand it's easy to do something where you implicate yourself in something you have absolutely nothing to do Mm. with, nothing to do with whatsoever. Well, so... You just have to keep that in mind. And that is absolutely a similar conversation that I want to have with Simone. I feel like I need to dial it back to some degree because I feel like there are so many people now, like people hated the cops before, but I feel like they hate the cops even more now. Like, you know, there are people who are like, why do we even need police? Which is not something I believe in. Some of these Negroes need to be locked up. (laughs) <laughs> Some of them need to be in jail and we need the police to do it. All right. So I'm not into just saying, hey, we don't need any police. And so I have to figure out a middle ground in the conversation I have with Simone about how do you understand? Don't put your don't compromise yourself and don't put yourself in a situation where you're in a police officer's crosshairs. But at the same time, understand that they are performing a service. They do have a role in the community. And that there are some instances where it is important that you interface with the police for the good of your community and the people around you. You know, so my daughter's only three now. I'm thinking maybe when she's around more like six, seven, I'll end up having that conversation with with her. And hopefully (laughs) it won't be too late and she won't already have experienced some horrible situation with the police that have colored her whole perspective. But uh, Hudson, what about you? How old are your girls going to have to be when you decide to have that conversation? Um, I, I mean, uh, well, my oldest, um, who's five right now, has already had somewhat of a, a mini conversation. Um, but but it, it's it's not a conversation of, of covering, like, so-called the bad is is just situations where um she might need to contact the officer and and right now we don't want her to be so so scared and frightened of it because here here's the thing when we talk about she 
she's going to long get information. She's going to get information from everywhere as with regards to police. Um, uh, whoever spends any time in our neighborhoods, live in our neighborhoods, trust me, from a very young age, the kids are talking about police uh, because kids older than them are talking about police. Kids who are really older than them and teenagers are talking about police. Then the young adults, older adults, these conversations are happening all around these kids, right? And the kids, they come along and start talking to each other about it. So, so you, you do have to dial it down depending on the age, um, but conversations have already started, um, you know, and, and, you know, I, as far as um, there's no specific timeline on when to have the full discussion or to complete the discussion, uh, it's, it's all going to depend. It's all going to depend more so on her. And, and, and um, it's also going to depend on, on what we start hearing from her peers who are talking to her. And, and even from conversations, we know she was there when, when adults are having it. So, so there, there's a lot of factors in this. So I can't pinpoint of when, you know, I definitely know before she's a, she's a teenager, we're going to have the, the full discussion. But um, as far as when it's going to happen, I don't know yet. A lot of like some of the interactions and stuff that I've had and with my kids and stuff I've had here have been relatively positive. They like say it's suburban cops. So, I mean, I might get the occasional ticket that I might call somebody a dickhead under my breath and shit or something like that. But, you know, um, I think about it with my daughter. She's 12 now. And I think she sees a lot of the visuals nowadays that's been going on. I don't, I don't particularly think she's motivated to any of it or she's really responsive to any of it. But I do feel the need that I need to sit down and kind of talk to her, like to kind of get an idea about what she sees and what she thinks. Um, I haven't reached an idea about how I want to approach just kind of sitting and talking to her about it. But luckily for me, I kind of feel like she's she's very intuitive. She's very smart. And I know if she's going to have questions, she's going to approach me about it. So I'm kind of not really worried about her per se. I have been thinking about my son a lot, though, because he just turned seven. And I know the kind of energy that he has. I know I know what he has in his heart. He's still he's he has no, nobody's messed up the love and the, 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 the energy and shit that he has. You know what I mean? Not even me. And I'm thanking God that I haven't just screwed that up in my own kid. Like he, as much as I yell and I curse and stuff, like he, he still comes with a smile and stuff and tries to, you know, make people feel better or just show how much he feels good about himself. So I'm thankful for that. And I don't want to do anything that's going to ruin that, but I'm scared that someone else will, and I won't be there to support him or I won't, I wouldn't have given him the tools that he needs to try and figure out how to deal with it. But like I say, luckily I'm kind of in these suburbs and I think I have more time to kind of deal with the situations. And it's more along the lines of just kind of sitting down and explaining to him 
what's going on, like what we see. Like me and his mother have conversations about stuff we see in the news all the time, and we be yelling and screaming, talking all kind of mess. And he'll come into the room like, well, "What y'all talking about? Why are you so mad, Dad? Don't worry about it, son. You're all right." But at some point in time, I'm gonna have to sit down and have that conversation with him because he's black man, black man, and I can't send him out into this world butt naked like that. So actually, let's uh, take that same question, but look at it from the other side. So if your child has already experienced something like that, like let's say it's it's your child that has been pepper sprayed, handcuffed, put in the back of that car, you were not there to uh, assist him, but now he's back home and you're trying to have a conversation with him about how do you move forward from this? How do you, you know, try to get past this? You know, can you provide any suggestions for parents who might be in that type of situation? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, anyone who's experiencing something like that, I I feel and I understand your anger. Because I can only imagine how angry you are. But in that, in that anger, you have to find some way of finding some kind of peace as something to learn from it. Uh, if, if by the grace of God, you were able to leave that situation with your life, because a lot of us just not have been able to do that. It's if you, if you have the opportunity to move past and walk forward from it, don't forget it, but don't let it take you over. Don't, don't allow it to destroy who you are and who you plan on being. You know, don't don't live situations with people who don't give a good damn about you dictate what you're going to be. Be be someone who doesn't want to see anybody else want to go through that. Be the change that we're looking for, especially if it's a kid. Be be the change that we need because we struggling right now. We really are. It's, this last year it was was a build up into some things where we received a lot of support, but. I see that dwindling. I really do. I hope it doesn't. I really do. I hope I hope the movement forward that seemed to be happening through all the George Floyds and the Breonna Taylors and all these situations that happened, I certainly hope that this will be a push forward to get some of this anger out of our hearts and to try and find some equality in all this shit, man. Just motherfuckers just want to be treated the same. And if you've gone through this at a young age, Hopefully you take this with you and you turn it into something that can be positive for other people that are coming up behind you. Uh, find a way to get through it as best you can. Lean on people that you love and care about. Uh, have those same people lean on the, on you. Get each other through it. And find a way to make something better. Push Push forward. You got to keep pushing forward. We can't allow this shit to just keep stopping us and stagnating us in, in one spot, thinking about one thing and, and fighting for the same shit. We got to push forward. Well, the biggest thing is that uh, a trust was taken, right? Uh, you know, even even with all our talks, I, I think I think kids still want to believe that the police are there for them, right? And And I think one of the things I have to, I would have to explain is that, you know, you, you got to take some of the, the stardom out of the job. Uh, take some of the stardom out. You have to explain that anyone could be a cop. 
I mean, that's just that's just the reality of it. Anyone can be a cop. Anyone can go take that test. They can pass it, and they can be a cop. And and I have to I have to compare it to their class in school. You got some kids you don't like, right? You got some kids don't like you, right? Well, you know, I just have to tell them that these are the same people that grow up and become cops. So some of them, for no good reason, might not like you. And you have to understand that these are people and they have prejudices, they have biases, and and they're going to take those out on you in some cases. But I have to tell them on the flip side, there might be some that are good, right? So it's based on our population. And I think at the end of the day, I have to explain to them that they have more power, even as young kids, than, than they can believe. And I have to try to empower that child to, to make a difference, you know, and, and as, as, as weird as it may sound, even at five, six, seven, become an ambassador in your class, in your school, talk about your experience. That, that is the key. Talk about your experience. You know, let's talk to the teacher at school. Let's talk to the principal. Hell, let's call an assembly. Talk about it. Talk about it. That is our power. That is a huge power that we don't take advantage of, right? But it's one of the hardest things to do is to talk about that experience, that horrible experience you just had, right? So, you know, they, they mention this when it comes to um, um, rape victims and, and things like that, to, to talk about it and get it out there because that's how you begin to take your power back. So, you know, I'm going to challenge that child to talk about it, you know, try to get your teacher to let you let you present it in front of the class. Let's make a presentation. Let's get a big picture poster board and, and let's make a presentation that you can present to your class. Let's start a club at your school. Let's do something and start taking your power mm-hmm. back. And maybe that starts maybe that grows that child up to say, I'm going to be an advocate so that no other child has to go through it. And that's the only way I can see out. I see no other way. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all that. Um, definitely that's in that you, you have to be willing to talk about it, have to be willing to communicate your experience, not only because our power is in that, but also because it empowers the other people around you. Because you're probably not the only kid that has experienced something like this. And maybe the other kids were too scared to really talk about it and be open about how the police are treating them. But the more people that are willing to be open and discuss it and talk to their political representatives and file complaints about officers who keep abusing people, the better it is going to be for everyone. And just to add on that as well, I feel like it's also important to tell the child that just because something bad happens to you doesn't mean that you did something wrong. You know, like you can be a good person, handle the situation exactly the way you were supposed to. And it just doesn't work out, just doesn't work out the way you want it to, or it works out in a way that is harmful to you. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should have done something different. That doesn't mean that you yourself need to change. So there is something to learn from every experience, but the lessons that you learn doesn't necessarily need to result in a change of who you are and what your perspective is. Don't internalize this and make this about, you know, 
uh, who you are and, and, and mistakes or things that, that you've done, you know, look at the situation for what it is and decide what you can and cannot take from it. You know, unfortunately, I think this is all too common <laughs> in the black community where either you've had a significantly negative experience with the police or you know someone close to you who has had a significantly negative uh, experience. My younger brother, you know, decided he hated the city, you know, not just because of cops, but because of coal, because of violence, because a whole bunch of things. Left for Phoenix, came to visit, wasn't here even a day, uh, surrounded by a bunch of cops, forced out of his car, forced to his knees, uh, Five minutes passed by, you match the description of someone who robbed such and such, but we've determined it's not true. You can go on your way now. You know, <laughs> not even not even in the city a whole week. Ain't nothing happened like this the whole time he's in Phoenix. <laughs> you know, like it, it's it, it's just it's so it's so hard to deal with. And it's way too common the way we're all treated like this. So that kind of brings me to my last question, which is, should the officers be fired for their conduct? You know, you do have a, 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 a child that they're attempted to deal with who is clearly frightened, clearly resisting arrest, clearly not complying with their instructions. Should the officers be fired for this? Should the officers maybe just be temporarily suspended, but some um, different measures in training be instituted? What do you all feel like is the correct response to this situation? And Hudson, I'll start with you. You know, firing doesn't help. I, I have not seen that help yet. Now, now, do I think maybe some charges should be brought on? Uh, absolutely. And now firing should be as uh, as a result, if, if there's enough to bring charges, then yes, fire. But if you're not bringing charges, if, if you don't feel like there's enough to bring charges on these officers and that even though morally this is this is wrong, but by the handbook that they were OK to do this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so firing, all that does is just take the pressure off of the of the department and then nothing changes. And what it does is it alienates other officers who look at the handbook and all of a sudden they want to look at the handbook then or their rules or rules of engagement then and say, well, it says here that we can do it. Why were they fired? So it just riles them up even more. Right. Firing people keeps passing the buck. That's what it is. So now these people go get a job and Lord forbid they get a job doing security in armed security hmm. where they where they go in and start messing with people there too, right? So we're just gonna pass the buck and keep firing mm-hmm. folks. So so in this case, I can almost guarantee that even though they might lose a civil suit, is that they're, they're it's gonna be determined that they were within their rights to do this. Now here's my problem, right? My overall problem is you we're constantly have a problem with officers not being able to handle a suspect. You know, every every time I see one of these instances where 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 a person is is getting shot or or beaten up bad or in this case pepper sprayed, 
is, is the direct result of officers not being able to handle their suspect. And, and what happens to us is that we get hurt or dead when these officers make those mistakes, right? But when the officer, but what happens to the officers? Nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, I'm not even sure they get a retraining. Now, retraining at the minimum. But if they cannot handle suspects, they need to be fired. I mean, that's period. And if you can't handle a nine-year-old girl, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm sure there's an officer out there who, if they listen to this, is going to be, well, well, you don't know. You've never had to. Yes, I've handled kids before. Yeah, I have. <laughs> and, and, right. and let me tell you, my mine's going to be nine soon. I might have to handle her. You know, and, and let me tell you something. I'm going to handle it. I guarantee you I, I, I can make you a promise. And I don't make many promises. I'm not going to pepper spray her. I can guarantee you that. Right. So so I'm sorry. They can't handle a suspect. They got lazy. They got lazy and decided to take the easy way out. Right. So the whole system needs to be on trial, if anything. And and they'll win the civil suit. Uh, you know, I have no doubt in that. But they're not going to bring any criminal charges. And, and And no, I don't think passing the buck. Is is the is the problem solver here? I think they need to be retrained, and I think the the police force needs to be forced to retrain them, and to look at their overall training in other instances. See, I I don't agree because I feel like this is a cultural problem, not a training problem. Because the fact of the matter is, officers with the same training will approach a situation differently depending upon the race of the person that they're dealing with. Chicago police officers <laughs> deal with white folks without shooting them just fine. It's us who are getting shot. So it's more than just training. And when you say that, like, f- firing officers that we've seen it doesn't work, where have we seen that that doesn't work? I can't think of a single city, a city, single major city where you can say consistently police officers who abused the black community were fired and then it just kept happening. To me, especially, again, going back to Chicago, the reason why these incidents keep occurring and the police force keeps abusing us is because they know they can keep their jobs and their pension because they've seen over and over and over and over again, a guy got convicted of torturing a hundred of us, got two years in prison and kept his pension. They know they can do just about anything. If they if it became clear to them that, hey, if, if, if you abuse the black community, you will lose your job and lose your pension for that, we'd be in a completely different ballgame. So to me, absolutely, these people need to lose their jobs. Absolutely, there needs to be a message sent that you cannot abuse black children and expect that you're going to be able to keep their badge because that's what this really comes down to. They believe that they can treat black people in whatever way they want and still continue to be a police officer. And they're right. And what happens time and time and time again is that they'll come out and say, well, it's a training issue. 
we need to train these officers differently. And then what happens? The police get a whole bunch more money because even though the police budgets in most of these major cities are already massive, they are already getting a massive amount of revenue that the city is able to generate. Supposedly, if we give them this $20 million more, they'll somehow come out with this new training and everything will be different. That is what is proven to never actually work. They get new facilities, they get new training, and nothing changes. These people have to start getting fired. They have to start believing that there's going to be consequences for what they do. And in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in Detroit, and just about any major city you can think of where Black people are being repeatedly abused, that is not happening. Police officers are not being punished for what they do to us. Well, see, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. There's so much that happens that's not caught by a camera, right? And it's hard to mm-hmm. believe that that's the case, right? But you know, where, where was it in Atlanta? Uh, in Atlanta, where where the guy was 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 uh, was killed at Wendy's? Was that Atlanta? Yep, yeah. that was Atlanta. So, Atlanta. so you know, if if, if I mean. You know, there, there's nobody that can tell me they're not still abusing black people out in Atlanta. I'm sorry, there's nothing, there's nothing that can tell me that they're not still doing it. So, so right. you know, when I that guy shot that guy in Atlanta, he was then fired and charges were brought up to against him. And then what happened? Damn near the entire police force refused to respond to 911 calls the following evening in mm-hmm. a show of protest. When does that happen? Never. Why does that happen? Because they felt threatened. They felt like they were being threatened. They felt like something real was happening and that they were being told you will lose your job if you just kill people like this. And it got a direct response. Defund the police is getting a direct response from these police departments. Why? Because their pocketbooks are being affected. Because they're saying, yo, we can't just do things the way we usually would. They're trying to take our money from us. So it's a totally different ballgame. Yeah, but that's Come on that's now. a nah. that that is a direct result more of defund the police than firing the individual officer. They're they're scared about a whole livelihood and a whole system going away and thinking half their jobs are gonna go just for nothing. Charges were brought against the officer. That's why. Because the 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 um District attorney stood up there and said, you murdered this man and we are going to charge you with murder. Yes. The other part of that is because they feel the the defund the police coming down. That was the other part of uh-huh. it. Right. And and that's a big part of it. So. So, I mean, again, I, I just don't see where where just firing people, especially I'm talking about more in this case also especially when I can guarantee you in their rule book, they were probably fine to do it, right? So then the argument is, how are you going to fire somebody who was legally in their right to do what they did, right? Because mm-hmm. that, that's what's going to come up too. So, and no one wants to get fired for following what they said they were going to do, right? So as much as it might be a cultural right. problem, it's always going to be a cultural problem. It's always going to happen. People are always going to gravitate and find differences in people and decide to treat others differently based on color, race, uh, whatever. 
right? But there still has to be the correct rules in place. They still have to be there, right? And if the correct rules aren't there, and and if and if it's in their rules that they're able to pepper spray a nine year old, that needs to change. That's got to change. Mm-hmm. And 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 firing someone for following their rule book, I've never been in support of that. If you're doing your job and you're having difficulty with a nine-year-old, should you really be doing police work? Now, I can understand you want to sit there and you want this nine-year-old to get in the back of your car, and all she's doing is screaming is for her father. And the first thing you think to do is pepper spray her. Come on, man. And that's the only way you can get control of a situation. Now, in this, and, and we keep talking about this training and all this other bullshit. If de-escalating situations as a police officer isn't a part of your training in the very beginning, this isn't even something that should be discussed at this point. It's your job. Protect and serve. De-escalating situations should already be a part of the training. There should be no retraining in de-escalation. That's the whole point. Hell, they they get so fucking bullshitty. Hell, they got so much paperwork they got to do when they discharge their fucking weapon. They whole deal is to fuck around and and have restraint so they don't have to do all the paperwork. Unless you unless you're just a dickhead and shit who's trying to fuck around and get as much overtime as you can, which is probably the case with most of these officers, along with a bunch of with a multiple of other issues and shit. But the fact of the matter is, if this is a situation where you're not able to control a situation involving a nine-year-old girl, you shouldn't be a cop. Plain and simple. And if that fact isn't brought into, brought up in the situation, whatever this investigation is, which it never really seems like it is, like... It, it, oh. In many of these situations, okay, y'all, y'all said George Floyd was high off all kinds of other crap. And PCP, and he had all this shit in his system. But the only way y'all can subdue him is by sitting on this man's neck. I mean, all these situations all have these have these airs of how how come you couldn't handle this situation any differently? If my nine year old got out of line, there's there's no question on how I'm gonna be able to handle that. Cause sit your ass down. Yeah, granted, she's mine, and I've been around other kids. And other people's kids who are nine and ten years old and have been able to do the exact same thing. Go sit your monkey ass down somewhere. Oh, she's not being responsive. Okay. Bring your ass here. Be the hell still. It's two or three of y'all there. How is it not why is it necessary to tackle a nine-year-old? And I seen the girl. Yeah, she was a big girl, but she was still nine. You big grown ass white man. There's no way that you shouldn't be able to handle this situation with some kind of tact or some kind of, you know, reasonable response at the end of the day. The majority of the time we see this shit and whatnot, these motherfuckers act like they being put out of their way or they fucking around. Oh, I'm tired of dealing with this shit. I don't want to keep talking. Anytime their authority is ever questioned is when things seem to escalate. Always does. And it doesn't matter what's going on. Well, they could have, they had this nine year old girl and shit on the ground. The mother's yelling and screaming in the background. What they tell her to do? Go home. Hmm. But that's her daughter. Why would she go home if she's <laughs> the whole point of having you here? She needs to be there. Why would you send her home? Even in them situations, like it, it just turns into something that doesn't need to be done. And if these officers are not being trained beforehand 
and I don't know what the what the number uh, uh, years these officers that were involved were on the force. I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm pretty sure they were veterans. So if, if this shit's not being taught in the very beginning, then the whole damn thing needs to be reexamined. Uh, uh, yeah, it's great talking about defunding the police and everything else, but we need to talk about what's happening in square one. What are they being taught in at the beginning? What are they being taught when they first get that before they get the badge? Well, here's the key. And here's it doesn't seem like that. anybody's investigating that. Here's the key to that. And, and this is what I'm calling for them to look into, right? Here, here's the key. Here's the key. Here's the question that ha- that I heard on the video, right? Which was um, or not a question, but this is the statement one of the officers made is that if you don't stop, I'm going to pepper spray you. Right? And I guarantee you that that they are allowed to say that. And and the fact that they are allowed to say that says to me that they do not de-escalate. They do not de-escalate. That is not their thing. So I'll, uh, let, let, let's mm-hmm. throw de-escalation out. Officers don't do it. Because the moment that you threaten physical violence to a suspect, right, what do you have to follow up and do? You have to do it if they don't comply. You have to. That that's like pulling out a gun and not being willing to shoot it. Mm-hmm. There, there's no turning back from that. Just like I guarantee you, and and in, in, a, in a movie I just watched, American Skin, they they address this right. Officer pulls out their gun. I guarantee you that gun's not going back in the holster. It's not. Mm-hmm. That gun is going to be out. So once they're at that point, there, there was nothing that officer was going to do to de-escalate at that point. That is what they do, right? So, so when we talk about retraining, when we talk about that whole system needs to be reworked in how they do things. And, and, and then you can weed out who, who can't do it and who can't. But it should be a much tougher job than what it is. But they try to take these shortcuts and make it easy, right? And at the end of the day, it's about the officers going home. It always has been. So it has nothing to do with, with, with de-escalation or any of that. That's not in their handbook. Not at all. And in the grand scheme, there's plenty of uh, re, there's re-education in all these officers at one point in time. Because pretty much like any city cop you see that's coming out of, you know, the academy or whatever, they're pretty much getting thrown into the city, thrown into these hotbed situations and whatever they want to call gang-ridden neighborhoods and stuff like that. But usually, or at least from what I've seen in discussions with officers that I've had conversations with, it's they have to go in with the mentality of, oh, they out to get us all. But they get their re-education and they get to temper themselves down once they get out to one of these suburbs. Because they only had to spend so much time working in the city before they're able to transfer into something that's way more cushier. Because mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's inherent in that. Because it's, it's interesting because it's just like you talk about the system and what it is that they're teaching them when they first go in into an academy situation and then they get out here on the streets. They're basically radicalized to just be crazy and just you got you got to be just all about survival but then when they tell them hey you going out to a nice cushy job out in, in lagrange park you could be cool now 
you ain't got to fuck, you ain't got to be on 12 or nothing like that. But when you have a situation where you're dealing with a black person out here, it's when things pick up shit again. So it's like there, there's some training in there at some point in time where they get to de-escalate themselves. Where they could just kind of sit back and chill because they live in the suburban life. They ain't got to worry about all the high crime stuff. But when the black folks show up in the neighborhood, they need to be on, you know, they need to be on 12. Culture. So it's it's very interesting. I wonder how that works on how they basically it's, it's almost kind of a military attitude where they send them in y'all as soon as y'all finish getting trained and y'all getting put on a plane and y'all going to right to Iraq. You know what I mean? Before you get to go sit in Germany, you know, for a couple of years and collect a paycheck and drive an autobahn for a little while. You know, it, it, and it honestly kind of seems like that's what it is. Are, they, are these people in these police academies? Are they are they pushing them? on a military type of diet when they first come out. Are they being, are they being militarized? Are they being, are they being militarized in the very beginning? And that's what it kind of seems like. Cause there is no de-escalation when you're going overseas to fight in Iraq or something like that. There's no de-escalation about that. All they teach them is survive. They're clearly militarizing them. They're clearly radicalizing them down to even giving them military equipment. Like when you look at the statistics of how many no-knock warrants police around the country were doing before they got all these bulletproof vests and tanks and all of this crazy nonsense, and how many no-knock warrants they're doing now, the results are staggering. They're basically turning them into a bunch of cowboys Mm. and saying, hey, we got all this equipment, let's use it. Let's bust in some doors and throw some people on the ground. Be clear, military has very clear instructions on rules of engagement. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. Very clear. You talk to a military person, they will let you know it is very clear on 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 when and it's not necessarily when a gun is fired <laughs> in their general direction, even. There's there's a loss a lostness, I'm sorry, that's not a real word, in in how mm-hmm. the real military does it. Versus what the cops' perception of amateurs doing, exactly. <laughs> and and let me tell you, as, as a person who went through the the, the Chicago police force process of, of twenty years ago, let me tell you, before I opted out, let me tell you, they, they okay. yes, they they scare the shit out of you. They scare the shit out of you. I could see that going in that that was their goal is to scare the shit out of you that you might not make it home, mm-hmm. right? That is what they do. Mm-hmm. So they are setting the tone for you very early on as far as, as far as what they're going to have you expect when you come out of the academy and you go out into the street, right? So, yeah, that, that mm-hmm. trust me, de-escalation is not in there. I, I can tell you that right now. I 100% agree with that. Um, it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. So all we can hope is that we prepare our children so that they either never have to deal with what this young girl experienced or at the very least, if they do experience something similar, that they have a foundation allowing them to move forward in a in a positive way. And it doesn't end up being, you know, this negative mark on their life that drags everything down. So. Appreciate all of you, um, both of you brothers talking about this. Moving on to our next topic, and you all know how we always end things on a lighter note with sports. Uh, 
And of course, once again, Donald Trump loving Tom Brady wins a, a Super Bowl. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I said, what, what Trump do now? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't stand Brady before, you know, Trump became president. And ever since then, and with the the love triangle him and Bill Belichick had with this dude, I can't I can't stand them even more. So I absolutely hated uh, seeing him win the Super Bowl. Of course, on top of him calling one of the football players the N-word shortly before the game ended, I'm absolutely disgusted. Was that confirmed? Look, he publicly... (laughs) When has Brady ever publicly apologized for something he said to a football player on the football field? Like that, that that was a scripted lawyer comb through, hey, what do I need to say to preempt anything that he might say about what I said type of apology. Was that All confirmed? Right. Uh, it wasn't confirmed, but guess what? NFL Films has refused to release the audio. They said, oh, no. Oh, no. We, y'all don't need to know. And they came out and said, you know, it's just re- it was just regular old profanity between two players. Nothing that any of you would find particularly egregious. If that was true, <laughs> if that was true, they would release the audio. They would just release it and put it to, to, to rest because it's a bad look for the leader of your Super Bowl championship team to have supposedly called another black player the N-word. The it leader is a horrible of the look. So if they the leader of the league, pretty much, yeah, yeah. So if they could debt that dead that they would. They have the audio of what was discussed. The fact that they have not deaded this situation and been clear about what happened tells me everything I need to know. He knew they were about to win the Super Bowl. He ran over to that man and he called them the N-word, along with a bunch of other uh, epithets. That is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Uh, Latrice in the chat asked, what did the tweet say? Tweet basically said that uh, Brady came up to him, said something that the player, uh, quote, said, I won't repeat here. Come on now. We know what that means. Um, And then he also talked about how the referee threw a flag on him for, you know, taunting or aggressiveness or whatever. But it was Brady who ran over to him and who was following him. So he's like, how is it that I get called for a flag when Brady is clearly the one who's escalating the situation. And it's it's clear because the league is going to let Brady basically do whatever he wants to do unless it's flattening balls. They have a problem with that. But anything else, it's it's, it's all good. Come on now. Come on. I don't know. What kind of world are we living in? I don't know. And then Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you know what? No, I take it back. I don't have a problem with Patrick Mahomes because, honestly, he was doing everything in his power to win the damn game. I have an issue with everybody else on the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is running around for his life, for his life out there on damn near every snap and still making these incredible throws. And these wide receivers are not doing their damn jobs. Nobody else was like, yo, I need to step up and take ownership of the moment. I was, I felt so bad for him. Andy Reid did not have an answer or a game plan for an uh, what was going to be an obvious attack on Mahomes with the with the issues they had with their line? He had absolutely no game right. plan. 
There were, there should have been no, we're going to try to load up and throw 30, 40 yard bombs. And clearly a lot of those plays were called to try to do that. You know, honestly, he needed to shorten that game. He needed to shorten that game and he didn't. He didn't. I placed that squarely on him. Now they may have lost anyway, yeah. but they should have had a much better showing than what they did. And I placed that on, on Andy Reid. Yeah, they, they fucking playbook ain't shit but fucking 30, 40 yard bombs. That's that's the majority of their playbook. And all they had to do was play two high safeties. And at one yeah. point in time, they were doubling Kelsey the majority of the time, but then it only took one linebacker to handle that, and that was fucking Levante David. He had Kelsey on lock the whole day, the whole game. I agree with with Hudson. They needed to change up that playbook. At the end of the day, you got to accept the situation you're in. Your whole line has been decimated. Like you can't just keep having Mahomes stay back there and trying to wait for these uh, routes to develop. He was still delivering the ball, like he was running around like crazy. But he was still throwing those bombs, and the wide receivers not showing up, not showing up, not doing what they're supposed to do. I can't wait for them to put that um, um, falling to the ground, parallel to the ground, throwing 30 yards. I, I can't wait for that to get Come on, on now. He's, he's capable of it. He's he's making it happen, and they're, they're not showing up. They're not showing up. I mean, clearly the defense didn't show up either. The defense just completely decided, okay, we're not going to have anything to do with this game. But the well, way his defense ain't never been up. good, quite honestly. I mean, yeah. they, they've been you know bearable. They ain't, they ain't honestly though. They ain't superstars or nothing. Yeah, uh, but I'm saying it's a Super Bowl. Come on now, kick it up a notch. This is what I'm talking about. That championship culture. Some people can kick it up a notch during the Super Bowl. Some people can't. When you find those people who can, who can get to that other level, show them the proper respect. Listen to what they have to say. But even regardless oh. of all that, <laughs> all right, regardless of all that, all right, moving along. He ran away from uh, me. Along. I said, wait a minute. This is the same squad from last year. I can't. I, can, I cannot. I find it difficult to blame Andy Reid because he was probably thinking about his F up of a son who is it serious trouble right now. Serious trouble. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this probably knows by now his son got it, uh, got supposedly drunk and got into a car accident. And there is still a, what I think a five-year-old girl who is in ICU fighting for her life. Literally Mm -hmm. they've raised over $400,000 on the GoFundMe for her thus far. People are pissed. People are pissed. People are infuriated. His contract was already expiring with the Chiefs, so he is no longer their employee. This guy is gone. This guy is never going to get a job in football again. They let that ride so fast, too. They was like, oh, well, uh, I'm go ahead and throw that contract in the garbage can. We ain't got to worry right. about that. Right. <laughs> right. They did it real slick, too. Like, oh, contract over with. He's no longer an employee. Like, damn. Come on now. Right. Right. Come on, bro. It's 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 incredible. Here's it's why what? The NFL. Still blame Andy Reid. Here's why I can still blame him. Right? <laughs> it's because if I remember, I, you. I think that that accident happened like a couple days before the Super Bowl. His game plan should have been in place by then. Okay. Yeah. Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. <laughs> his game plan should have already been there. <laughs> I, you know, 
I can't deny that. I can't do <laughs> you you are definitely correct about that. Um at the end of the day, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers won. There's video footage of them during the Super Bowl parade of Ooh, they was kicking going, it hard. Ooh, yeah, they was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> on the Super Bowl trophy back and forth over their two million dollar yachts. Ooh. He brought a brand new two million dollar yacht to pull up to the Super Bowl parade. Man, shit. I'm Tom cool. Brady, I would too. <laughs> Shit, I'd buy the biggest damn yacht I can find. I want that one, and I want that one. <laughs> and now you got these articles coming back. Is Tom Brady the greatest athlete of all time? I'm like, are y'all serious right now? Are y'all serious? Please stop. Please just stop it. Who else stop got seven it. rings? Look, now, I, tell I don't you, care. I ain't no Tom Brady fan or nothing like that. Uh-huh. Number one, I just want to say I said Tampa was going to win. I said that. This what I would do it just like that to be pointed out. Number two, uh, I'm sorry. The brother got seven rings. He went to a whole nother squad that literally had no way of winning a Super Bowl and took him to one. Go ahead. Sorry. Hey, you can say fuck up all you want to or shit, but he got seven rings. I think he give you the finger with one of them on his own. Big dumbass <laughs> ring, too. He give, he give a fuck you don't like him. That boy got seven rings. Not only is he going to the Hall of Fame, he might get his own goddamn room. <laughs> he might get his own goddamn auditorium. You're going to need it to put seven of them rings in. And if he decides to stick around for another year, you might fuck around and have to eat eight of them. Nah. The on- they only won this game because the Chiefs were so debilitating. Oh, my God. If the Chiefs had their offensive line. If only their offensive line. If only their receivers caught the ball. If the referees weren't throwing so many fuck out of here. If you didn't go into the game knowing Tom Brady was God, then you, should, you shouldn't have went. You shouldn't have went hold to on. the game. You hold shouldn't on, have went. If you already, if you ain't watched the Super Bowl within the last 20 years and seen them throw flags for Tom Brady, that means you need to be on your P's and motherfucking Q's. Stop giving them a reason to throw the flag. <laughs> Shit. They got their corners was holding their receivers the whole game. First of all, as a deacon in the church, I cannot abide anyone referring to a human being as the God. All right. Okay, goat. Let's goat. All right. He's the goat. <laughs> He's, the goat. He's the I goat. Have that, all right? He is the goat. He is the goat. All right. That's first of all. You walk into a game. Second of all, he called a dozen lucky breaks for this Super Bowl. Between everything that happened to the Chiefs. Nothing happening to the Bucks, and then all those flags they threw during the game to help seal his victory. Guess you should have picked up Tom Brady there. Be clear. <laughs> I don't take anything away from the Super Bowl. Most people don't get to this, even get to this game, much less winning. All right. So Tom Brady, he's amazing. He's had an amazing career, blah, blah, blah. Against a full strength Chiefs. They would have gotten beat down. I stand by my pick. A full strength Chiefs. So you're telling me the, the, the Chiefs were debilitated by a left tackle. Yes. That, that, left that, tackle. that fucked up the whole team. The whole team. Whole team revolves around Patrick. But Mahomes. what it's just like Hudson said then. If you a good coach, how you don't account for that? You had two weeks to practice for that. Dude been gone. His son's life has just been destroyed. Oh my God. He just said this shit happened three days before the Super Bowl, bro. They had a game plan already. They had been practicing. 
if your son's life had just been destroyed, would it would you be over it by three days? What they got to do with the left tackle? What they got to do with what you practiced for the last fucking ten days? What they got to do with anything? Debilitates your thinking and debilitates your decision. You already practiced it. You already been practicing it. That ain't debilitated nothing. The game plan was the same after he got into the accident. Absolutely does. It debilitates your performance as the coach of that football team. The performance of the coach? Yes. The nigga who sit on the sideline and just read the script. That debilitated him. He's the play caller. He decides how the office is going to run. Somebody else play the – you got an offensive coordinator. Let him make the calls. I cannot believe that you are actually sitting here advocating as a father that a father could find out that his son's life has completely been destroyed and say in three days, hey, you should be all right. You should be able to perform the way everybody expects you to. What's your problem? Everything's all in place. Hey, if you if you got that same job uh, uh, 10 years from now and something horrible happens to Jason Jr., sure you've done this job for years. Sure that job is going to be the same that particular day as it has been for years. That does not mean you come in and give the same level of performance as you would on any other day. You are hurt. You are grieving. You are in pain. You are terrified for your son. Unless somebody else called a game. It's different. He doesn't have that choice. He doesn't, he, he's the head coach. Who, who don't have that choice? He, just he, he clearly has that choice. Check out of my responsibilities on the Super Bowl. No, he can't. <laughs> he can't. Oh, God he can't. For really, dude? You tell you telling me a coach can't step down and allow someone else to coach for him. That's why he has coordinators to say, right? You know that, right? Matt Nagy did it in the middle of the season, remember? He get he gave the play calling the dude up there. Oh, that's why uh, a coach who was Super Bowl caliber would say, "This is my responsibility to get better at this and take this on." Andy so Reed then it was Andy Reid's fault. Reid understood it was his responsibility to do this, but he couldn't do it. But he couldn't do it. So it was his fault then, right? Couldn't do it up to his usual standard. Then it was his fault. Just like Hudson said. It's on Andy Reid. You all want to see it. You can. That's what you just said. That's exactly what you just said. I think what's clear. (laughs) So, you know, what what's clear is that is that Tom Brady and and yeah, people may argue it, but obviously in this league, Tom in, in the NFL, Tom Brady is on the top tier. In the very next tier, you got your Mahomes and Watsons, right? And then there comes a tier after that. It is almost, you know, a whole bunch of them dominoing after that. But, you know, Tom Brady, it, it's difficult to win one championship. And and what, and what the Chiefs are proving to themselves right now and should be how difficult it is to win another. And the Chiefs dominated – have been dominating for a few years now, right? But it's still proven it's difficult, difficult to, to get go to all that way. It's difficult to go all that way year in and year out. And Tom Brady has figured out a formula. We can call it refs, we can call it whatever, but he has figured out how you to play it. the game and to do it. And he's figured out how to do it again and again and again. So got to give kudos to that, whether you love him or hate him. You got to give him kudos to that. He has become the top tier quarterback in the NFL. He has. He that dude. He is that dude. He just is. 
That's what he, that's what he does. He wins championships. Plain and simple. You want to talk about championship culture? You want to talk about somebody who brought a championship culture to a team? Look at Tom Dan Brady, as opposed to Nick Foles. No, and, big and big damn I was, difference. I was listening to a uh, I was listening to a podcast from uh, Eric Thomas Et, and one of the things they mentioned in there with with Tom Brady is how even when he's not playing well, right? Like he 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 has played inconsistent all year. And so is the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And they, they were finding their niche all throughout the year. But one of the things that they said is that when you have Tom Brady on your team, you don't feel comfortable with being average. You don't feel comfortable doing it around them. Because you know when he gets there, you know, it's like, okay, the whole team is thinking championship at that point. And it elevated all of their play. Shoot, two of the linemen had nine-plus sacks. Two of the defensive linemen had nine plus sacks this year, and that's and that's how I knew they were going to dominate that front line. I knew it. I think you know, I told you. Somebody, you know how many I teams I that left tackle gone? They're going to dominate that line, and that's what they did. Do you do you realize Ndamukong and Sue been with Tampa Bay for like two three years? I didn't even know he played anymore. Ndamukong and Sue got a Super Bowl. Remember he started with Detroit, bro. Tampa Bay? Yeah. He's on he a starter. Mm-hmm. He started on the defensive line. I think he ended up getting a sack, if I'm not mistaken. That's crazy. Pierre Paul. That? Man blew Did his hand off. Did y'all see that commercial with Brady and Grunk? And when Brady was saying he was going to go another year and he was calling Grunk and, and Grunkowski was in retirement and, and the Zoom call kept going in and out. So what Brady heard was, Gronk is going to come out of retirement and made the announcement. And Gronk was sitting there like, wait a minute, I didn't say I was going to come out of retirement. (laughs) I thought that was the funniest damn commercial. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Just to close, Brady is not the GOAT and never will be. Thank you very much.